Big Mac, Chicken McNuggets. No, Big Mac and Quarter Pounder with cheese. Or filet fish You'd be doing the same thing if you were at McDonald's because you can choose not just one, but two of your favorites for just six bucks. Tasty Big Mac, crispy 10-piece chicken McNuggets, juicy quarter pounder with cheese, or savory filet fish Enjoy two of your all-time favorites for just six bucks, if you can decide on the two. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. What's up, my people? It's your boy, Ish, and you're listening to the brand new podcast loudly saying it like i told you the last time i want you to come with me on this journey as we talk about life business relationships and all those topics you want to but afraid to this is about the black man it's for you to discuss the things that are going on in your communities and the things that are going on with you as a black man and address them and understand that there are people out there that are willing to discuss these issues with you And I promise you, I will never ask you to talk about anything that I'm not willing to share with you. So come on along with me as we get into a brand new episode, okay? Let's do this thing. What's up, people? It's episode 12. If you've listened to episode 11, at the end of it, I told you guys that today's episode was going to be talking about friendships. But throughout the last week and a half, something just kept pushing at the back of my mind saying, you need to go back and listen to the message. And I'm thinking about what message is this? And I decided to go through every episode I've had so far. And I got onto episode 6 open books with Dallas Lions and it was just ridiculous the amount of gems that were in that episode so I thought to myself because the podcast has gone through a rebranding and everything I wanted to go ahead and redo this message again share it again with you guys and have you guys get the gems that I did from this so I'm listening to it reading what I wrote about it and I'm like oh my god I missed some of these messages. Now I'm getting it. Some of these gems just kind of flew over my head at that time. But now when I re-listen to it, I can relate even better to it now. So here it is, open book with Darylis Lions. So this is the re-reading of the book of Darylis. So like, share, review, and rate on Apple Podcasts. Let me know if you're vibing with it. If you're not, let me know why. And I'll put Darylis's connections and everything so you guys can connect with her on Instagram and on her website. I love this, guys. I hope you guys love it as much as I do. Let's kick it. Good morning, Darylis. Um, I already did my intro with, for you for the podcast, and um, I just want you to go ahead and tell the audience about yourself. Um, tell them who is Darylis Lyons? Yeah, good morning. And thank you so much, Ishmael, for having me on um, this morning. I, I guess I, I would have to say that who I am is um, a storyteller at heart. I really believe that our stories shape our reality and the way that we talk to ourselves about ourselves. 
uh, tends to be the biggest determinant of, um, you know, of how we live our lives and, and how we, how we feel about ourselves as people and how we feel about our place in the world. So I like to refer to myself as the transformational storyteller, uh, because I find that helping people transform their stories just has a ripple effect into every area of their life. Oh, that's great. I definitely agree with that. And, um, a lot of people try to identify themselves based on what other people see them as. So I'm, gl I'm glad you actually did. You said that, um, today, like, um, I already told the audience in the intro, this is just about how change is possible, but, um, nobody will really know what we're talking about if we don't go all the way back. So, uh, I want to start out the first segment, which is, uh, Throw back. I want to go back to the release at, let's say, I don't know, the release at 13, the, the young the release. Let's jump in and see where is she at right now in her life? If you could just take us through that stage in the release's life. Sure, absolutely. Um, My... My teens were really hard. I was, um, up until I was 11, I was the only child of a single parent. And so I had a lot of individual attention and I felt very kind of cherished and very loved. Um, and I, you know, in some ways, I actually think I had too much attention as a child uh, <laughs> because, you know, I, I kind of thought that I was the center of of the universe uh, as a little kid. And, you know, and I just had a lot of, um, and a lot of adults around me and a lot of love in my life. And then my favorite aunt got leukemia and died. And um, shortly after that, you know, many of my relatives began to move away and get married and all that. And so I stopped really feeling like everybody's focus. And then my mom, who it had just been the two of us for most of my life, she met, uh, she met a man and, um, and he wasn't a very nice man. I like to say he put the dick in dictator. I mean, he was, he was kind of a jerk. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and so she met him and they got married and they had my sister. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I went from feeling just really cherished and important and like the center of the family to feeling like an outsider. And so, you know, going into my teens, I, I didn't feel like I had people I could really talk to about things. I mean, I was popular and I had friends and everything, but that locust of love that I had as a child, it just, it felt like it wasn't there anymore. And so that was right at the beginning of, you know, in my, sort of like age 14, 15, I developed an eating disorder and then I started being very promiscuous. And so 13 would have been like right in the heart of the emotional action where I was just feeling unloved and feeling dejected, but I mm -hmm. didn't really know what to do with it. And I didn't really know kind of where to turn to get the, the answers. So I think I turned to maladapting, maladaptive coping mechanisms. So that's sort of where you know, where my, where I was in my early teens. 
Oh, wow. So I know there are a lot of people uh, uh, in that position right now. And uh, you mentioned that between 14 and 15, you developed a diso- uh, eating disorder. Yes. Um, so that's basically what you started using as a coping mechanism, if I get that correct. Is that... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that whatever people's struggles are, right, whether it's food or sex or alcohol or drugs, you know, it starts off as a solution to a problem. It starts off as a way to feel better, a way to take the edge off the pain, you know, a way to feel control or to escape feelings or what. I mean, I think it's different for everybody, but it, in the beginning, it, it feels like the solution to the problem, but then over time it becomes a deeper, more significant problem in itself. Yeah, definitely. And so we're still, we're still in the, in the past right now. So at what point did you think you started saying, well, okay, maybe I should stop uh, this uh, thing that I've been doing for so long as far as the the eating disorder. I know it's not a thing that you can just stop overnight. I know some people seek help. And yeah. I know I have a friend who's still going through it and we're there to support him. And this, which is actually a big thing because a lot of people don't realize that men have things like eating disorders as well. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, because we're just guys that just say, well, they can handle anything. So there's no way they're going through things like this. So at what point did you realize after I'm pretty sure everybody else has been trying to be there for you? Did you realize that maybe I should start working as hard as these people are to try to yeah. see what we can change? You know, I think one of the interesting things about human resolve is that it comes and goes and then comes and goes. Um, and I'm reminded, you know, I mean, how many of your listeners, right, like are, have said to themselves, I'm going to start a diet on Monday morning, and then they start it. And by the time Wednesday rolls around, like you know, the diet, yeah. the, the resolve is there and you don't, you know, you're not doing it anymore. So For me, it wasn't really an issue of getting the motivation to change. I mean, I've Mm -hmm. I've had that motivation again and again and again. And I actually, I was in inpatient treatment 18 times in long-term inpatient treatment for the eating disorder, uh, 18 times between, I want to say the ages of uh, like 17, 18, and 26. And I checked myself into treatment all those times. Nobody else made me go. You know, I wanted to get better. But what would happen would be I'd want to get better until life got hard. And then, you know, I, I'd i give myself permission to just like use the symptom once or, you know, like lose a few pounds or whatever. And then it would take on a life of its own because there's an addictive quality to the eating disorder. So I think the real question for me isn't so much you know, when did I want to get better? It's when did I make the, de- the unconditional decision that no matter what happened, mm-hmm. I wasn't going to use that coping mechanism anymore. And that happened, you know, in my late twenties where I just like really said to myself, you know what I want, I want a life and I don't care what happens. I'm not going to binge or purge or starve or over exercise or whatever, you know, anymore. And when, when that shift happened, I, 
I actually felt more crazy for a while, Ishmael, because it, it was, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't take the edge off my emotions in the way that I, that I was used to. And I, I feel like when I made that fundamental decision that I was going to change, my yeah. whole story had to change with it. Like I was, I no longer saw myself as this anorexic bulimic person. I saw myself, I'm not sure exactly what I saw myself as at the time, but but there was a huge shift that had to happen in terms of my self-identity, in terms of like just what was permissible for me. Um, and, uh, and I feel like that was really the beginning of me embarking on this new life that I live today that, I'm, that I really you know, enjoy and, and, and love. But it was definitely my late 20s when I just said, you know what, never again, like I'm never again going to go back to that place. This isn't my story anymore. And I'm glad you actually said that uh, it's not really about when you you say, okay, I'm getting better. It's when you actually know and you say, well, regardless of what happens, I'm, this change is going to happen. And yes. uh, just sticking to it. And I know a lot of people that are at that stage right now where they're not really sure of the plants anymore because they've stopped doing what they're so used to doing and now they feel unsure every time they uh, they take an action and um i'm actually i just i would say i just got over that uh stage where with this podcast is something i've thought about for years yeah. and i was like yeah uh maybe i don't want to do it because there are so many people doing it and then uh, one day I just woke up and say, okay, I'm just going to do it regardless of what happens. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Uh, got everything ready, jumped on the, the computer, got the mic on and just started talking. Yeah. And I, from then I never actually looked back and I said, well, hey, if I get guests, I'll get them. And I'm glad I have somebody like you on the show <laughs> and just hearing what you have to share with the audience. It's it makes everything worthwhile saying, well, yeah, I'm glad I actually took that step and never looked back. Yeah. A question to say, hey, is this what I should be doing? But I guess you would say that's just life. When you change, you're not always going to be sure about everything that's going to happen. Yeah. So, well, and let, yeah. when you made that that decision and you did jump on and you started the podcast and you started to just sort of talk and regardless of what the results were what did it feel like for you to take that leap uh it was it was a big relief it was like this heavy load had been lifted off of me it's because oh, it's been years i've been i gotta add everything i needed to start the podcast all i needed to do was actually just make that decision and say yes i'm gonna go for it and i had several recordings i've done before but then I would listen to them over and over and over and just decide, well, ah, no, it's not good enough. Yeah. But then one day I just woke up and say, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And after that first uh, episode was published, it was like just a, this heavy load was lifted off of me. And um, it's been great so far. Yeah. So far it's been great. And I think that's what, that's the feeling that comes from not just making, not just trying to make a change, but really making an internal transformation. I think that's the feeling like, you know, I know for myself and for all the clients that I work with and things like it's that moment when someone just 
steps into their new identity, steps into the person that they were meant to be, I feel like it's always a relief. You know, it's fear, 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 fear up to that point. And then when you finally do it, it feels like, oh, this is like, it's like a coming home of sorts. It just feels like, oh, this is, this is who I am now. And it's, um, it's not necessarily easy from that point on, but it feels way more authentic than to no, not make that change. Definitely. I agree with you. And, um, that's actually going to have me segue into the next uh, segment, which is uh, for the culture for and the uh, culture. Part, uh, transformational life coach and a speaker. And um, I know you have about what, 16 books now that you have published. I have, I have 20. Yeah, I have 20, 20. 20 books now that are that are that have been that I've written and sold to publishers. So either they're already out or there's a few that are, you know, coming out within the um within this year. But uh but yeah, I definitely I, I definitely write quite a lot and I'm lucky enough that people want to want to read my stories. Um yeah. yeah. Now, uh, so um, we've gone through how you had an eating disorder and uh, up to the stage where you decided, well, yes, the change is going to happen regardless of how I how you felt about it. Yeah. And now we have uh, the release, the author, the speaker, the life coach, um, which means there was a period, yes, you were going through the change but what got you into writing and uh, when did you decide that, okay, I want to be a writer, I want to be a life coach, I want to be a speaker. So please just share with us like that transformation. Sure. You made that decision. Yeah. So I feel like um, I didn't really make the decision to become a writer. I feel like writing is who I am. And it, and it was, um, you know, when I was five years old, I used to write, I used to get into trouble actually, because after bedtime, I'd be under the covers with my flashlight and my pen and my notepad, you know, just like making up stories and writing things down. And, you know, and it was always who I was, you know, I, I do comedy improv. I was always like a performer. I always liked to feel things in a big way and to tell stories and, um, and then when I got further away from myself and I developed an eating disorder and I felt very alone, you know, I got away from that part of myself and, um, and I worked in finance for years, which is not who I am, Ishmael. Like I'm just, I'm not really a numbers person. I'm a feelings uh, person I'm and I'm a stories person. So, um, so yeah, I, I, and then I feel like when I got into recovery and when I started to live a more authentic life and be truer to myself, and when I didn't have food as an escape mechanism anymore or starving or whatever I was doing, like I, I kind of, I feel like that aspect of myself that I had lost, it found me again. And then I started to write a lot. Um, and I, you know, I just, it, I loved it. And I, and I, I'm still in love with writing. I mean, I think it's one of the things in my life that I'm so passionate about that I, I couldn't really imagine a life without it. And so, um, 
yeah, that's the thing that fills me up now. And then after becoming a writer and after experiencing, you know, a little bit of success in the publishing landscape and getting my work out there, I started to realize that I wasn't the only one who had stories that were longing to be told. And I wasn't the only one who had at one point uh, barriers between what I wanted to do and what I would allow myself to do. And so I kind of just stumbled into helping other people and I, and I love it because, you know, they say the best way to learn is to teach. And so in working with other people, I'm able to really help them achieve their goals, but also like, you know, being authentic is one of the most important things in my life. I don't want to be a hypocrite. So if I help somebody else overcome a fear and do something that they want to do, then I also can't let my own fears hold me back. And so it's really, you know, it really becomes like this self-propelling cycle of the more I, the more I write and the more I tell my stories, I think the more, um, the more clients I tend to attract who want to do the same thing or, or want to break through whatever their fears or barriers. And then the more I work with others, the better, um, you know, the better I get at my own craft. So it, it, you know, it's, it's a really fulfilling cycle as opposed to the cycles I used to be in, which made me feel very empty and alone and afraid. And these make me feel very full and connected and make me feel like I have a purpose in life and I'm contributing something. Uh, that's great. And uh, so one thing that I've come to realize it's, and again, I just want to go back and just focus on uh, like men and uh, yeah. to be more specific, men of uh, African-American uh, ethnicity or African background. It, we We tend not to accept that sometimes we need somebody like you, a life coach to just help us put things in perspective to yes. realize some of the things that we are doing that is hurting what we want to be or that is being an obstacle in our lives. Yeah. And so we just uh, stay back and say, well, I got this. Uh, I can do it by myself. I don't need anybody. But as a life coach, I'm pretty sure you've met people that have interacted with clients who when that stage where they felt like, well, uh, I can do this by myself, but eventually either somebody convinced them or they realized that, hey, I need this help. I, let me reach out to Darylise and see how she can help me yeah. see things from a different perspective. And, um, and I keep telling people, I said, um, I want this podcast to be for everybody, but I still want it to also focus on black men because it's so hard to find uh, sources where we're telling each other to say, hey, brother, you need to build up. You need to walk through these things with experts, people who are experts in their fields that can help you get to where you want to go. It's not just about you being tough yeah. and having that persona, I'm a man, so I can handle it by myself. So um, just share, I mean, you don't have to go into details, but share some of the obstacles that some clients have shared that sure. you think we as black men can benefit from. Yeah, I think you're definitely on to something. Um, men and 
Um, and yes, African American men, but I, I would say, you know, a, a whole lot of men are taught, you know, I have to do this on my own. I would say that the bigger stumbling block that I come across in men is a sense of duty and responsibility that they feel like really kind of beholden to the people in their lives. So a lot of men might be working jobs that they're miserable at, but they feel like, you know what, I can't, I can't really become an entrepreneur or I can't really follow my own passions because, you know, I have to pay the bills and I've got a wife and I've got kids or, you know, even if they're single, they feel like, well, you know, I want to, I want to be that man with money in the bank and with, you know, like, those kinds of things where they they kind of feel like, okay, I might have this dream or I might have these desires, but I'm not going to go for what I really want because I owe it to the world or I owe it to the people in my life to be the guy I've always been and to do the things I've always done and to deliver, you know, this amount of money or, or what have you. So I feel like duty tends to be a really big hang up for guys. Uh, that I that I come across. And one of the things that I work with them to help them really shift their perspective is, um, you know, I believe that we all come into this world with unique talents and skills, and that we all have a purpose in life. And that if we can align ourselves with that purpose, amazing things happen, not just for us, but for the people in our lives. And so I think for men, sometimes changing that story from, okay, I just have to go to this job that I hate and, you know, bring home this paycheck, changing that way of thinking about it to if I'm doing what I love and I'm good at, I'm going to be making more money. I'm going to be contributing more emotionally to the people around me because I'll have more to give. I'm going to be an example, you know, to my kids that they they can actually be happy in life. They don't have to go through it miserable and unself-actualized. And so, you know, I find that helping helping men to feel like they're really they have permission to follow their passions in life and to follow the things that they're good at and to cultivate their talents. I think that really opens them up to a level of drive and enthusiasm that might not have been there before. And I find that once someone, you know, men are, are really wonderful in terms of being like linear thinkers and I think, and, and problem solvers. And so I think that when, when a man changes his way of looking at things to say, you know what, this is, this is who I'm meant to be, and I want to do everything I can to be the best me possible, then I think it gives him permission and opens him up to figuring out, okay, well, what help and what support do I need to get there? You know, do I need to hire a personal trainer? Do I need to... Um, work with a life coach? Do I need to read this book or change this thing? You know, I feel like, um, you know, if a man was going to fix a car, he wouldn't just go into it without a, a manual or without taking a class on cars or, you know what I, like he'd try to figure out how to, how to fix the car. And so I think that when, when it comes to making changes in, in, in a man's life, if he feels like, okay, this is, this is something that 
I, I want to do, but also I need to do in order to be the best me possible and to support everybody I love and who loves me and who's kind of counting on me. When a man feels that way about making change and transformation, I think it does enable him to get the support that he needs to make those changes and the, you know, and the information that he needs to make those, to make those changes. A hundred percent, because like you said, uh, if you were going to work on our cause, you're not just going to jump in because um, one, that's never a good idea. Two, I don't think you want to drive that car after you're done. Yes. Yes. Um, I actually, talking about that, I actually had that actual issue where the first time I jump, uh, tried to fix a car by myself, I just like, well, how bad can it be? And I soon realized that it could be really, really bad. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, and I'm glad you shared that because I think there are people out there, I know there are people out there that need to hear this from somebody who is an expert in her field to let them know that it's not a bad thing to seek uh, help. And as men, we once we change that mindset, uh, it's easy for us to just start going with that new mindset. It's not that complicated like i know my wife always tells me say your your brain is so simple yeah and uh, yeah say you you just have to think the right way that's all i guess that's what she's just trying to tell me hey change your your mindset and you see what i see yeah but um and she actually was one of the people that pushed me for the podcast say hey you i know you don't feel complete right now without doing this so why not just do an episode and actually publish it and see Yes. And once I did that, yeah. And once I did that, that's all it took. Because I had the episodes before, it's just I never published them. So I never felt like, okay, it meant anything. It was just I record. The same thing with writing. Like I, I told you the, la- the last time we spoke that I wrote uh, some stuff. And uh, because I never shared it with anybody, I don't, I don't feel like, oh, it's anything. I felt like it's just one of those scribbles. Mm. But I, I don't know if maybe if I start sharing it, maybe I will actually realize how much I loved writing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Um, well, and I think and and how much you love writing and also how much what you have to say matters to other people. And I think that that's the piece where. Sometimes, you know, if someone's struggling with, I don't even know if self-esteem is the right way to say it, but just a feeling like, oh, well, this isn't going to be good enough or nobody's going to want this or whatnot, or, you know, who am I to say these things or put myself out there? I think sometimes as the more you start to put yourself out there, the more you really see the contribution that you're making in the lives of others. And then it almost feels like, who am I not to put this stuff out there? Because what I have to say, people are hungry for it and they want it. And, you know, readers are reading my books or people are listening to my podcast or what have you. And, and then it kind of feels like, Oh, wow. Well, I, you know, I owe it to these people to keep generating content and to keep, saying, you know, to keep telling the stories that I'm meant to be telling, because I I feel like, you know, duty and obligation is not a bad thing when you can use it to be the person that you're meant to be and to contribute in the way that you're meant to contribute. I think where it gets us into trouble is when we use it to, to play small in the world. 
Exactly. I believe that uh, the term that they that it's being used nowadays for that is that imposter syndrome. Yes. Where you feel like, well, all these people are so big uh, and they feel whatever they're doing. Like, I know I listen to several podcasts and these people have thousands and thousands of downloads and uh, two, three hundred thousand followers and listeners. And um, I guess I was in that space where I thought, well, if they have all that, who am I to actually start doing a podcast? Who's to say a single soul is even going to listen to me? And why Why do I think I'm, wor- I'm worth it for somebody to spend that maybe hour on the train listening to my podcast? What makes me so uh, listen-worthy, I guess? Um, so I, then I, I found out the term of that feeling was the imposter syndrome. And actually, it's from another podcast I was listening to. Yes. Somebody mentioned it as like, oh, wow. So that's, that's what this is. Yes. And yeah. Well, and interestingly, I would argue that, that being an imposter is really doing the thing you don't want to be doing and pretending to be happy, do, you know, doing things that don't make you happy. I actually think that's more of an imposter than really shooting for what you want and you know what I mean because it's like Uh, yeah yeah yeah, uh but right but we do feel this sense of okay I'm not good enough and there's a Marianne Williamson poem that I really enjoy and I think the opening line of it is it is our light not our darkness that most frightens us and I I feel like you know people are both afraid of success and of failure in equal measures. So you know nobody wants to take that leap and fail, but also there's something kind of terrifying about stepping into the shoes of success because you know that that feeling of oh wait I don't really deserve it or I don't really belong and. Um, you know, everybody starts somewhere. Most of the people that you're, that have podcasts that have a million followers, they, they didn't start off with a million followers. You know, they didn't, they didn't move from celebrity in one medium to celebrity in another. They just, they, they built their, you know, their following by adding value. And I think if you can focus on the value that you're adding, it gets a little easier not to feel like a fraud and not to feel like an imposter because you know that what you're delivering could be useful to someone if they just plugged into it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, I'm glad you actually mentioned Marianne Williamson because I think I know the poem you're talking about. I think, so. Uh, I forgot the title, something about deepest fears. Yes, uh, yes, yes, fears. yes. Yes, yeah, so, um, somebody shared that with me was uh, a while ago and uh, because we are having this conversation about imposter syndromes and everything and uh, he told me he said uh, check out this form you it really answer all these your questions and I'm, I'm gonna share it with everybody people are questioning whether they're uh, they're good enough to do what they want to do or the things that they know they would love doing Go ahead and check it out. It's called uh, Our Deepest Fears. Yes, yes. And it, it, it really answers that question. Uh, so shout out to Marion Williamson for that. Yeah. And um, it's it's so refreshing hearing somebody like tell uh, tell the audience the things that 
maybe family sometimes just because they're trying to support you they don't share that with you i love family family being a uh, part of a family is awesome yeah. but sometimes they tend to not want to hurt your feelings and they know you you look miserable in a job or something but they feel like you you believe that's what you need to be doing so nobody's going to point it out to you that, hey, you really love to sing. Why don't you try to pursue that? Yeah. Because they know you think, well, I have to work. I have to take care of kids. I have to take care of my family. So I'm going to be doing accounting, which I don't like. I'm going to go to work and be miserable for the next eight hours, come home, and then complain about work for the next hours till I go to sleep and do it all over again yeah. in the morning. What? Even though, yeah? Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, so like, even though, you know, if I just pick up that mic and just, even if I'm just uh, doing karaoke, like my life feels so much lighter just doing that. And your family see that or every day, but they don't want to stop you from doing what you think it's your duty to do. So that's uh, that's uh, it's it's a tough place as a family member to be because I know I've seen family uh, members, relatives who go through this, and I ask myself, do I want to mention to this person to try doing what they love? I have uh, relatives who. Because coming from an African home, we're taught that you're either a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, or you know what talking about yeah. to friends. So I see people fighting to get into medical school, tried several times with the MCAT exams and just keep failing, but just keep pushing and pushing because they believe that's what they should be doing. But then they're great artists. They can uh, reproduce anything by uh, by memory and everything, but... I question myself, do I tell them like, hey, maybe you want to pursue art or and stop struggling with this uh, medical dream because your parents have told you that's what you're going to be since age one and they've drilled that into you and now you're in your 30s and you're still trying to get into medical school. Yes. So, yeah. So that's a dilemma sometimes I think uh, our relatives go through worrying should they share what they're seeing or should they just wait and see if we can just figure it out on our own well and i think it gets even more complex when you're talking about family and you bring up a really good issue as to why i think having a life coach or a therapist or someone you know having a system of support where the person is invested in your success but they're not like in the middle of the action. And I think what happens with family is, you know, they have their own fears, they have their own feelings. And so you might be married and your wife might feel like, no, no, I really want you to stay in this, in this, in this job, even though you hate it. And, you know, she, she's, she doesn't mean bad things for you. She doesn't want to keep you down or keep you stuck, but she has her own fears of, well, if my husband becomes an entrepreneur what's going to happen to the family, you know, what's going to happen to our budget, what's going to happen to our money, well, you know, are our kids going to suffer or whatever. And so I think that what happens sometimes is if someone's right in the middle of the situation, they're not always best equipped 
to help support you um, or to help you kind of problem solve, or they might feel like, you know what, I know my husband sometimes has struggled with depression in the past. And so if he takes this leap of faith and it doesn't work out, even though I believe in him, you know, if it doesn't work out, then is he going to be depressed again? And so that person might tell you, you know what, no, 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 you don't, don't, don't even try that, you know, or you don't even need to to go there and they're not, they have nothing but your best interest at heart. But I feel like with family or, you know, significant others or kids or parents or whatever, sometimes people are almost like they're too invested in you to be able to help you see your path forward or to support you in taking those steps. And um, there's one really famous podcaster who I love uh, who he spoke about this because his wife was like his biggest naysayer in the beginning. And for years, she was kind of like, I don't know why you're doing this thing, you know, and now he makes millions of dollars as a speaker and a podcaster and all that. And, um, and it's because he couldn't let his family be the only voice that was contributing, you know, the, or the, or his flashlight in the darkness, he had to go seek a flashlight elsewhere in terms of, you know, colleagues and coaches and um, pastors and, and different people. Um, because sometimes, you know, sometimes the people around you aren't the best equipped to help you forward. And also, you know, they like, they have all this experience of you being a certain way. I mean, I will tell you that for my family to see me not as the person with the eating disorder anymore and not as the sick one, that has taken so much longer than anybody else in my life. You know, my friends, my colleagues, my clients, my students, you know, everybody else in my life saw my new identity almost immediately when I made that shift. But my family, I mean, even still, sometimes they'll say something to me and I'm like, you, you realize I'm not that person anymore, right? I haven't been that person for 10 years. Uh, but we have all this accumulated life history of them seeing me in a certain way. And so I think, um, you know, I think family gets to be really a sticky situation at times, even if you have the most loving and supportive family in the world. That, yeah, that is definitely true because like you pointed out, because uh, a lot of people, once they do go through that change and uh, then they'll see relatives and say, oh, I bet you never wanted me to get to this point. They don't understand that sometimes our relatives are not doing it because they, they want to hold you back. As you say, it's just because maybe the wife knew about your depression the last time you lost the job. And now no, you're not just losing the job. You're actually leaving the job now. What if whatever you're trying to pursue doesn't work? And now she has to be the one to be there to support you through the depression, which she will probably. Yeah. It's just yes. it, 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 it's the toll it takes on you as the individual going through it. And she's just worried for you and she wants to protect you from that. And that's what, as people, we need to understand sometimes when we're going through things that not every no that we hear from the ones that, are, that love us means they don't care for our success. It just sometimes they feel so protective over our lives that they felt feel like the best way is to keep you where you are. Yeah. And a family because if you go where you're trying to go, yeah. Definitely. And a, you know, that. a family is also a system. 
So if one person changes in that system, it really forces everyone to change. And so I think sometimes the fear isn't about, you know, well, what if this person I love makes it big? I mean, your family might feel like, oh, my, yeah, you're, you're born to be a singer. You're born to be a podcaster or a writer or whatever. You know, you've got this incredible talent. But I think some of the fear is, well, if you change, what does that mean for me? And what does that mean for us? And so I think that, you know, it's not just about the people in our lives trusting us to make a change, but it's about us reassuring them that even within this change, you're still going to be important to me. You're still going to matter. You know, here's where I think sometimes when I work with my male coaching clients, they'll talk to the people around them about their vision for themselves, which is all well and good. But I think it's also helpful to ask the people around you, well, and here's where I see you in this vision. Where do you see yourself? You know, like I'm going to, I want to quit my job and I want to become an entrepreneur and I, you know, and you're so good at, you're so good at sales and you're so good at marketing. Like, do you want to get on board with this? And do you want to help me sell my ideas to people? You know what I mean? Or, or you're so good at, um, a child here and I know you want to be a stay-at-home mom and here's my you know and within my five-year plan these are the returns I think I'm going to see on my investment and it will enable you to do what you want to do I think that's way easier to get family on board when you bring them into your vision and you co-create with them as opposed to just sort of focusing on well you know I'm not happy at my job and I want to switch to something else and and you're not telling the people around you and you have a place in this too and I think people sometimes get really scared when you're talking about making changes that involve them but you don't invite them into the process or invite them to be you know to be part of it or talk about what what areas in their life they might want to shift and you could, you can be shifting together um, from a spirit of love and co-creation as opposed to just like a spirit of dictatorship or a spirit of fear. Yeah, definitely. I actually do like that because um, I was, I would say I'm guilty of that. Um, I never actually sat down my life and said, well, this is my vision about a podcast and try to see how I can incorporate the things that she loves to do into that vision. Yeah. It's always been, I've just been focused on, okay, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm doing. And even sometimes I get home at one in the, in the morning and I'll jump, uh, I'll get downstairs, jump on the podcast, start editing and doing other things probably about three or so before I go to bed. I never really thought about asking her, saying, hey, how can we get you involved in this? Because we're a unit. We're like yeah. you said, a family is a system. Once one person changes, the whole system has to change. Yeah. And um, yeah, I really, I really like that. Um, but I don't want to have you share all your life coaching expertise <laughs> <laughs> with everybody. But um so I'm just going to take us into the segment. Time for the talk. I want you to share with us the projects you're working on, uh, where the audience can find the books that you already have out, um, where they can purchase them, and um, what is next for the release Lions. And um, if somebody wants to reach out to you for live coaching or speaking event, how can we do so? 
and what are the channels that we can connect with you? Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for that. And thank you for the opportunity to be on this podcast because it's, it's wonderful. And I, I, I do enjoy very much working with um, my male clients because I think it's, it's a nice yin yang sort of complimentary um, thing. I think I bring a way of looking at the world to them that is slightly different and, um, mm -hmm. and vice versa. I mean, I, mean, I really, I, I, I really love um, and appreciate that. And, and to that end right now, I'm working with a few male clients on getting their own, getting their books out there. They're, um, you know, working on, on books and I have the, the privilege of working with them to help make that happen. Um, so that's something that I'm working on at the moment. Um, uh, my website is www.daraleeslyons.com and it's D-A-R-A-L-Y-S-E-L-Y-O-N-S.com. Uh, and on there, there's, you know, information about my coaching, information about all of my books are listed. Um, there's, you know, I, I do comedy improv, as I said, so there's information about that. It's a really, it's a wonderfully interactive website. I'm, and there's a contact form. People can email me through that. Uh, but my email is daralise at daraleeslyons.com. I'm also on Instagram as Daralise Lions and on Twitter as uh, Daralise Lions. And then I'm on Facebook as the transformational storyteller. So um, I'm in a lot of places, but again, my website is a central location to get in contact with me. And that's www.daraleeslyons.com. Yeah, definitely. I'm, and I'm going to put that up on the post that's going to accompany the podcast i'm going to put all those links up for the audience for everybody to be able to connect with you and um to be able to reach out and seek your services and i'm definitely going to stay in yes. touch because i feel like there's a lot i can benefit from having somebody like you in my life because i i've always been that person i believe that i can do it by myself and now I'm getting to a point where I'm realizing that, yeah, you can't always do it by yourself. That's why these people exist. If you could do it by yourself, these people would not exist. So, and I'm, that's how I'm starting to look at things. It's like, if there's somebody that exists that has this expertise, that means there are people out there that need that person. And uh, my wife tells me I come, up, I come up with these crazy uh, explanations for things I want to do, but that's my belief. <laughs> I say there at least exists because I need somebody like her to help me put things in perspective. Yes, well, and you exist and, uh, on the podcast because people need someone like you to be giving them, you know, insights and expertise and information, even if you're just facilitating the information by bringing people on. So I think that really it does become an interconnected thing where the more you say, oh, you know, I have to do everything on my own. Well, then what you're saying is that everybody has to do everything on their own and then nobody can add value to anyone else's lives, which when you think about it is kind of ridiculous, right? But, but that's exactly. the story that exactly. we tell ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, um, I really appreciate you jumping on the podcast today. I know we had uh, a few hiccups uh, for our first uh, recording, but I'm glad we were able to reschedule. And 
having you today. It's been really enlightening for myself and I'm pretty sure for the audience and uh, anybody that will ever come across the podcast. Um, before I let you go, I just want you to, if there's one piece of advice that you you share with everybody today, what would that be? I guess the one piece of advice that I would share would be that the story that has brought you to the place where you are now, if you're not where you want to be, the story needs to change. Um, yeah, I think that would be my my one piece of wisdom. Ah, I like that, that the story needs to change. If, you know, if you're not where you want to be, the story needs to change. I, you know, I'm going to keep that and uh, I'm going to run with that. But again, thank you for jumping on there, Liz, and I really, really appreciate it. And for those of you listening, please uh, jump on and connect with Liz. Um You can find her books. I'll send you all the links once I finish everything up on this end. And uh, I'll share it on Instagram, on uh, Facebook, and Twitter. And, uh, the, of course, the podcast will be on SoundCloud, on iTunes, Spreaker, TuneIn, Spotify. So wherever you listen to podcasts, you will definitely find it. And I hope you... Well, folks, that's it. I thank you guys for listening to this podcast again. If you've listened to it before, if you've never listened to it, I'm glad you did. And I hope you got the messages that I got from this like share with your friends and your loved ones review it on itunes and let me know if you're vibing with the messages if you want to connect with their list i'll share that information on my ig and also my twitter you can also find that information on the website loudlysayingit.com anything you want to do let me know i'm excited about the episode coming up i know it was supposed to drop today but trust me you guys would not regret it being episode 13, Friendships. If you're out there and you want to be a part of the podcast, let me know. Hit me up. You got my DM. Jump in the DM. Let me know what you want to talk about, when you want to talk about it, and I get you in the studio or can do something remotely. Again, I apologize for the sound. It was just that Alice and I had to connect when we could. We had conflicting schedules and she was gracious enough to be there at the time that I was available and we did it uh, remotely. The sound wasn't that great. But thank you for listening. The message is what matters, guys. Till then, stay blessed. If we want to list every way Spreaker can help podcast publishers, well, we need a podcast of our own. Whether you're in charge of long-running series with extensive backlogs or countless limited series, you can organize and monetize your entire catalog with Spreaker. With Spreaker's customizable publisher plan, you can add collaborators, analyze extensive listener analytics, and even share exclusive content through custom RSS feeds. And that's just for starters. Head to Spreaker.com to learn more. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Dot com.